well. Really love people. I'm not talking about just tolerate people or put up. How many of you just say, well, I put up with a lot of people. Yeah, I understand. That's not the same thing. I'm talking about loving people. I mean, really loving people like Jesus did. And we've been talking about the different traits of love. And today, we're talking about love is humble. The Apostle Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, he writes, Love is not conceited or proud. Now, if you want to live a revolutionary life of love, if you want to have authentic relationships, and we do, man, we want our relationships to be real. We want them to be based in substance. Well, then you have to have this characteristic of humility. And I think, honestly, I think humility is one of the most misunderstood character qualities that God ever invented. So before we talk about what humility is, let's talk about what humility is not. Humility is not shyness. It's not being timid or bashful. It's not being a weak or spineless wimp. It's not a lack of confidence. It's not insecurity. Humility is not having a low opinion of yourself. Jesus was very humble, but he didn't have a low opinion of himself. Humility is not being a passive doormat. It's not about having low self-esteem. It's not putting yourself down. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm junk. No, Jesus never put himself down, but he was the most humble person that ever walked on the planet. So what you're going to see today is that humility takes an enormous amount of courage. It takes an enormous amount of self-confidence. It takes a high self-esteem, high personal security. In fact, insecure people have a hard time being humble. Insecurity produces the opposite in our life. It produces pride. Whenever you see somebody who is arrogant, prideful, uh, boastful, egotistical, you can know that they are most likely masking a deep personal insecurity. Insecurity can cause us to brag, to exaggerate. It makes us worry about what other people think. It causes us to be hypercritical or judgmental of others. So instead of pride being a matter of confidence, it's actually the other way around. Humility is a matter of confidence. Jesus was humble because he knew exactly who he was. Remember Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? And the reason that he was able to do that is because he was secure in who he was. He knew whose he was, and he knew what his purpose was. He knew what he was doing on the earth. So he was able to walk in humility and take the humble position. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about humility. It tells us that God saves the humble. God supports the humble. God gives wisdom to the humble. God rescues the humble. He promises to exalt the humble. Over and over again, you see it. God says, I will honor you if you are humble. Humility, with humility comes honor. On the other hand, the Bible tells us that God hates pride. That's the thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven, pride. Isaiah 66.2, it says, The people that I treasure most are the humble. Why? Because they depend on me. God treasures people who walk in humility. All right? So that's what humility is not. But what is humility? Well, one of the things that we should know is that humility, because it's part of love, and love is humble, uh, that humility is something you do. It's an action. It's a way of thinking. Uh, it has nothing to do with your feelings. You say, well, you know what? I don't, I don't feel humble. doesn't matter. 
feelings have nothing to do with your humility. Humility is something you do. It's a way of thinking. And because of that, humility is a choice. You can choose to be humble. You can choose not to be humble. So let me give you a working definition of humility uh, for our message today. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of others instead and acting in their best interest instead of your own. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of others and and acting in their self-interest instead of your own. Humility is other person-centered. Humility is self-forgetfulness. You're thinking of others instead. You're not thinking when, you, when you're dealing with somebody, you're not thinking, well, how's this going to affect me? <laughs> you know, what, what's this going to do to me? How's this going to work out for me? No, you're thinking about others, and that's a choice. And because of it, it is something that you can practice. Matter of fact, take a look at this verse. 1 John 3.18 says this, let's not just talk about love. I mean, you know, talk is cheap, right? It says, let's practice real love. Everybody say practice. Practice. Humility is something you can practice. It's something you can do over and over again until you get good at it. You know what it means to practice, right? For musicians, like like Jeff, when we were learning to play guitar, you remember when you first started playing guitar and you had to kind of place your fingers? <laughs> on a, this is how you do a C chord, right? And you had to get your fingers there. And then, you, you know, the next time you played it, you had to do it all over again. That was the early days. And you practiced those chords, man. And then when you hit bar chords, even a little bit harder and all of those things. And you had to practice it over and over again. And you did it over and over and over again until you could just... Just do it without even thinking, without even looking. That's a part of it. Those of you that know me, you know I'm a big football fan, and Florida State's my team, and, and uh, they're doing great in basketball, but they've not had a good football season in the last couple of years. And so I'm excited. They got new coaches in at spring practice and all of that sort of stuff. So I was watching some of the spring practice yesterday, and this new coaching staff, man, is just working these guys and having them do some of the things over and over again. And the starting quarterback from last year said, he said, you know, one of the problems that I think we had the last couple of years is that we would mess up in practice and they would just go on, you know. And so we just started accepting doing it wrong as okay. He says, now, he says, if you mess up, we do it over again, and we keep doing it over again until you get it right. That's what it means to practice something. The more you do it, the more you get it. Love and humility are something that you practice, that you do over and over and over again until you start to get it right. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to give you four habits of humility. These are four things that you can do to practice having humility in your life. Practice it until you get good at it. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't know why I came today. This isn't a message I need. If that's your feeling, this message is exactly for you. Exactly what you need. All right? You know, pride is one of those things that's very easy to see in other people, and we hate it, but it's very difficult to see in ourselves. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first one. First, the habit of humility is you need to practice giving preference to others. Practice giving preference to others. Think about those areas in your life where it's kind of difficult to give other people the preference, to let somebody else go first. You guys ready for a confession from the pastor? I'll, give you, I'll confess one of my difficult ones. I'm driving down the interstate. 
kids don't even know where I'm going, but you're always like, interstate, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I, I had trouble giving anybody preference on the interstate. But, you know, you ever have one of those situations where they're doing some work on the interstate, and you've got two lanes, and so about two miles out, they give you a, a, a sign that says, in two miles, the left lane is closing. And so, you know, because you're a responsible driver, what do you do? You pull over into the right lane. Traffic starts slowing down. There's always that one Yahoo. You know what I'm talking about. You can shake your head. You know, you know, he zips past everybody else. And when we get to that point, I don't want to let him in. Don't be hating on me. I just don't want to let him in. All right. Now, I'm learning to do that. I'm starting to do that. But that's an area, you know, is giving somebody else preference. He didn't give me preference. I ain't giving him preference. That's not how love works. That's not how humility works. Hey, Walmart. You go to Walmart, and you pick out the line that you think is going to be the short line. How many of you know it's never the short line? As soon as you get in the short line, it becomes the long line. Something happens. And you're standing there, and then all of a sudden you hear somebody say, I can take you over here. What will you do? You will push away children and women (laughs) and everything to get over to that thing, right? You go all Rambo in the process. Ladies, you'll stick a ham under your thing. A woman and a baby coming through, right? And you will do whatever you can because you want to be first. And that's the way we are. We want to be first, and we want us to do it. When you go parking at the mall, you know, when trying to find a parking space at the mall, especially during the Christmas season. And you have that moment where you're coming one way and another car's coming one way, and there's that one parking space. You know what I'm talking about? And your eyes lock in theirs, right? And you have a decision to make, right? Number one, do you hit the gas, right? Just zip into the thing. Do you just stop and give them the look, right? You guys know the look, right? You give them the look. Or do you just let them have the space and then you park behind them so they can't get out? What do you do? How do you handle, you know, that sort of thing? You make the choice. Listen to what it says in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, give preference to one another in honor. Have you ever been to the symphony? Anybody ever been to the symphony? Let me see your hands. Just curious. Yeah. Man, if you haven't been, you should go. It's just an amazing experience. And at the symphony, there's a person who's given special honor. When everyone comes out, this one person is greeted by the conductor, and everyone claps. They're just the fiddle player, right? So what's the big deal? Well, they're not just the fiddle player. They are the first chair violinist, and that's special. One time, Leonard Bernstein, the famous composer and conductor, was asked, what is the hardest instrument to play in the symphony? And his answer was, second fiddle. (laughs) And it's true, right? Because in an orchestra, uh, you might have ten violinists or more, and each part is important. And it wouldn't be the same without them. It wouldn't be an orchestra without all the instruments. But only one gets the top spot. Now, this is something we have to wrap our heads around. The message translation version of the, of the message of the verse that we just read says this, Romans 12.10, practice playing second fiddle, right? Are there some places in your life where you can take the back seat to other people, where you can give them preference? See, one day, those of us who are followers of Christ are going to be together in heaven. And the reason that's going to happen is because Jesus gave us preference, he did, he, like a slave, like a servant. He laid down his life for us. You can read about it in Philippians 2, starting at verse 3. It says, don't push your way to the front. 
Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget about yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way Jesus thought of himself. He was God, but he took on the status of a slave, an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. Jesus gave us preference. And that's what humility does. Amen? Amen. Here's the second one. The second way you can practice humility is practice learning from others. Being open to their suggestions. Being open to their correction. Even being open to their criticism. Now, this is a major component of humility. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have a difficult time with that? Yeah, yeah. And how many of you say, I did, but I didn't want to raise my hand? I think we all struggle with that to some degree, you know, that, that sort of thing. But part of humility is being teachable. It's being willing to listen, being willing to learn, being willing to say, you know what, I want to grow. I want to I get better. I want to be open to suggestions and corrections from other people. So you realize you don't have all the answers. You don't know it all, and you don't act like you know it all. Now you say, why would we do that? Why would we open ourselves up to the correction of people around us? Why should we open ourselves up to criticism. Well, there's several really good reasons. The first one is this, is that it makes you more likable. <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 12, conceited people do not like to be corrected and they never ask for advice. Again, what we're talking about is pride. Pride at its root is insecurity. You know, I'm afraid people will think that I don't know that much, right? But see, you'll be more likable and less conceited and, and open, I mean, you'll be more likable if you're less conceited and you're open to teaching. How many of you just love to be around arrogant people? Yeah, nobody, right? You know, you don't. Well, you know why? Because they're irritating. They're a pain in the uh, blessed assurance. <laughs> you know, they're just hard to be around, right? So one of the things that humility does is that it makes you more likable. The second thing is you'll be wiser. You'll be wiser if you're open to the correction of other people. Proverbs 15.32 says, if you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you will grow in understanding. Humble people are always learning. They're always learning because they're open to suggestion. They're open to correction. The truth is, everybody is ignorant at something right? We're just all on different subjects. You, you know some things that I don't know, and I just might know some things that you don't know. And together, man, we come together and we're able to help each other out and make a difference. We all come from different backgrounds. That's why there's that old saying, two heads are better than one, right? Uh, the truth is, you know, when you look at life, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough time in the day to learn everything on your own. Right? So why not learn from the experiences of other people? If you're getting ready to step in and do something big, and you know somebody that's done that, call them up. What did you learn? What would you do differently? How would you approach it? You know, what would you say was the biggest mistake that you made? What advice would you give me? Man, learn from other people. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from their experiences. And you do that just by asking questions. shows your humility. It shows your openness. 
Look, we have to decide in life, do we want to appear wise or do we want to be wise? Do we want to appear smart or do we want to be smart? And if you feel like you have to appear smart, you won't ask questions because you're afraid people won't, you know, uh, you won't think that you know anything, right? And what happens is you miss out on opportunities. Leaders are learners. They're learners. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading well. Learning is one of the key qualities of leadership. If you have a business, growing businesses require growing leaders. The moment you stop growing, that's the moment your business stops growing. We have to be teachable. Here's the third one. Third, third reason we need to be open to correction is you'll have less conflict. Look at this verse, Proverbs 13.10. Pride only leads to arguments. Arguments. Almost any time you have an argument, you can just about bet that, that pride is raising its ugly head. I mean, it just is. Pride, we need to make this our, our memory verse. You need to take this verse and memorize it this week. In fact, would you read it with me? Pride only leads to arguments. And where's that found? Proverbs 13.10. Make that a memory verse. Get that into your mind. See, every time you are criticized, God is testing you. Criticism is a test of humility. God is testing to see if you're going to get defensive, if you're going to be offensive, or if you're going to be humble. I'll never forget, I was a young youth pastor, and man, it was just a, a season of busyness. My schedule was just crazy busy. You remember those days, Vicki. Early mornings, late nights, loads of meetings and incredible responsibilities. And I just remember there was this one season that was so busy and I was just absolutely exhausted. I was just frazzled. And the weekend came, and that particular weekend, uh, the pastor was away. So I was speaking at the services, and we were in three services at the time. So I spoke and led, and led worship for three services. Went home. I was already exhausted. Went home. I took a four-hour nap. I went back to the church, and I led worship, and I taught the youth that night. And then when we, I came home, and Monday's our day off, I remember I just slept. I just slept. I felt like I had been hit by a truck. I was just catching up after weeks and weeks of just pushing and pushing. And it was bothering me. And what was worse, I was doing what, what I would call relational skimming. That's when your schedule is so full, you neglect having time for the people who are most important in your life, your wife, your kids, your, your husband, your friends, your relatives, the people you care about. You don't have time for them. You guys are giving me a blank look like you've never done that. Listen, we've all done that. We've all done this, right? And so when you get to that point, it's just emotional and physical fatigue and relational skimming. And I'll just be honest with you, man, it was wearing me out. And I remember sitting down with Vicky and saying, you've got to help me. I can't go on like this. What do I need to do? Where do I need to cut back? Honestly, tell me honestly what you see. And in a moment of just pure candor, Vicki said to me, she said, Robert, because of your schedule, I'm feeling lonely. Man, I, it broke my heart. I remember that moment, tears just flowing down my face. And, and I immediately apologized to her. And I made up in my mind at that moment that things were going to change and things were going to be better. And we worked out on things that we could do to, to change things so that we could you know, ha work through what matters most which is each other, our family, and those sort of things. 
I, I wonder sometimes how many lonely spouses there are out there. How many lonely children? Because in our desire to do more and more and more and be more and more and more, a lot of times people around us get relationally skimmed. Who do you need to sit down with this week and ask, what do I need to do differently? What is out of whack in my life? What do you see in my schedule that's messing up? Man, I had a choice. When Vicki said to me, she said, when she said, your lifestyle is making me lonely, I had a decision to make. I had to decide, was I going to be open to criticism and correction and humbly accept what she's saying, or was I going to be in denial and saying, yeah, but you, you don't understand. I mean, you don't understand the pressure that I'm under. You don't understand the people that are depending on me or anything like that. See, I could have made excuses, but they would have been just that. It was the humility of saying, you're right. How do we fix this? What do we do? You know, and, and sitting down and praying together and working through it together. And defensiveness, listen to me, defensiveness never gets you anywhere. You don't grow that way. You don't learn that way. You don't develop that way. You don't become more like Christ by defending the sin in your life. We need to settle that. Guys, we need to be like little children. Matthew 18.4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why like children? Because children are teachable. They're open. You don't, have to, you don't have to say to a child, do you want to learn to walk? No, they want to. They're looking to be taught. They want, they want to learn to talk. They want to learn to read. They're teachable. Humility happens in our life when we practice learning from other people. It's a choice. It's a choice. So here's number three. Write this down. Practice admitting when I'm wrong. For some of you, that's an oh, man. Right? Because we hate to do that. Does anybody else hate to do that? You hate to admit you're wrong? I mean, you hate to admit it right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't even do it right now, Pastor. I don't know. That's just the way. Right? Now, this is one of those things that's easier for some people and, and, and harder for others. You know, the truth is we all make mistakes, right? I mean, and lots of them. And for some people, it's kind of hard to admit that they're wrong. I mean, sometimes we'll kind of own it. We'll say, you know, I, I, I was wrong, but you, <laughs> right? Or we'll say, you know, I was trying to do it right. I know I messed it up, but if you'd have done this, it would have been. And so, you know, that's not really admitting that we're wrong, right? We, we, we're just casting blame. We're passing the buck. When what we really need is some brutal honesty in our life. You know, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I messed up, and I own it, right? But it's so hard sometimes. Sometimes we just want to try to sugarcoat everything. You know what I mean? You just kind of, kind of just, just sugarcoat it. I, I heard a story about a woman who was traveling on business, and so she left her husband at home to take care of the kids and you know, watch over things. And She called one night to see how things were going, and she said, you know, how are things going? The husband says, not so good. He says, the poodle died. And she goes, that's terrible. That's, you know, what's more terrible is the way that you told me. You know, you just blurted it out there. You should have prepared me for it. He says, what do you mean? She says, well, like, like the, when I called and said, how are things going? You could have said something like, well, the, the, somehow, I don't know how, the poodle got on the roof. And wow, that's, that's weird. And then the next time I called, you could say, poodle fell off the roof. It's not looking so good. <laughs> uh, okay. And then the third time, you could say, well, the poodle died, and I would be ready for it. And he says, okay, I'll try to do better next time. A couple of days later, she calls and she says, uh, hey, have you checked on my mom since I've been gone? How's she doing? He says, well, 
Funny thing, somehow your mom got up on the roof. (laughs) We try to sugarcoat things sometimes, right? But humility and honesty go a long ways. I have a friend of mine who was going through a tough time, and I was talking to him on the phone, and and I was saying, so how's it going? He was telling me, he said, well, these are some of the mistakes that I made. This is some of the stuff that's happened. And I could tell just from the way that he was talking, he was going to be all right. He was going to be okay because he was letting humility and honesty and all of those things make a way for him. The Bible talks about this. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and he, and he forsakes them, he gets another chance. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe some of you, you grew up in a home where nobody ever said, I'm wrong. Nobody ever said, you know, I'm sorry. No one ever admitted to their mistakes. And because of that, you have a hard time owning up to the things in your life when you mess up. The first step to healing in relationships always begins with humility. James 5.16 says, make this your common practice. There's that word again, practice. This is a profound concept. The fact is we can choose to be humble. We can practice it, and we can become good at it. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together how? Whole and healed. Amen. All right, here's the fourth one, number four. Write this down. Practice surrendering your plans to God. Practice surrendering your plans to God. This is another one of those things that most of us are not particularly good at. Most of the time, if we're honest... You know what we do? We make our plans without ever consulting God. We don't even talk about them. We just make our plans. And then once we've made the plans, then we ask God to bless the plan that he wasn't even a part of, right? He didn't have a part in making it, but we're asking him now to bless it. And we assume that the plans are his will. And so when they don't happen the way that we thought they were going to happen, or they don't happen in the timetable that we thought they were going to happen, we get mad at God. Listen to me. You know what that is? It's pride. God hates pride. James 4, 6, and 7. Listen to this verse. God opposes. Everybody say oppose. God opposes everyone who is proud, but he gives grace to everyone who is humble. So surrender to God. I can think of a lot of people uh, in a lot of circumstances that I wouldn't want opposing me. For example, if I was playing one-on-one basketball, I wouldn't want to be playing with LeBron James, right? It's not going to go well, right? I may be six foot three, but I ain't, I ain't LeBron James, all right? It just ain't going to work. I wouldn't want to step into an MMA fight with somebody like Conor McGregor or, or something like that. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to try to oppose Bill Gates in an auction, right? It's just not going to happen, right? There's no way I'm winning that one. But more than anything else, I don't want to be opposed by God. Because that's a battle I cannot win. It's not going to happen. The Bible says when I'm prideful, that God is not mildly irritated at me. He is in opposition to me. God opposes me. When I'm prideful, God is opposing me. If you look up that scripture and you look up the word opposed, it paints a picture of, of being on a battlefield And you're on one side of the battlefield, and God is on the other side of the battlefield, and he's in full battle gear. How many of you want to be in full battle gear against God? 
That's what happens when you are walking in pride, is that, that, that God opposes everyone who is proud. But he gives grace to who? The humble. The humble. So what do you do? You surrender. You surrender to God, right? Surrender. What does it mean to surrender yourselves? Romans 6.13. Give yourselves to God and surrender your whole being to him to be used for his righteous purposes. Surrendering means, God, I'm going to go with your plans and not my own. I know uh, you're not going to show me the whole complete plan all at once because I probably couldn't handle it. It's going to come a little bit at a time. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm surrendering myself to your plan. I'm going to take it step by step. That's humility. That's surrendering yourself to God. It's called dying to self. And here's my question for you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made the decision to do that in your life? Have you ever come to the place where you come to God and you say, God, I'm not going with my plans anymore. I'm going with your plan. My life is a blank check, and I'm turning it over to you. And whatever you decide is fine with me. That's surrendering your life to God. Guys, before I came to the place where I gave my life to Christ, there had been several times that I'd been in church. There had been several times where my heart was convicted, but at no point did I surrender my life to God. And then one day, man, God, in his mercy, in his great love, so arrested my heart that I remember falling down on my knees. Vicki was at work, and I fell down on my knees in our little apartment in North Carolina, tears just running down my face, and I went, I give up. God, I give up. I'm not going to run anymore. And and to be honest with you, my life was so messed up at that point that I didn't think I had anything to give him. I said to God, God, man, I I don't think there's anything worth, I, I don't think there's anything of any worth in my life. I'd run from him for so long. But I said, God, if you can do anything with my life, it's yours. And I surrendered my heart to him. And it made all the difference in the world. There's a phrase that I want you to think about today, and it's this. Blessed is the man who knows his limitations. Blessed is the man who knows his limitations. Now, if you're wondering, that's not in the Bible. That's, a, that's an actual quote from the great theologian Clint Eastwood. Uh, in the movie Dirty Harry, he says, a man needs to know his limitations, right? And I just thought that it sounded you know, more spiritual if we put blessed on it. So blessed is the man who knows his limitations. Humility, humility is an accurate, unbiased understanding of your strengths and your weaknesses. It's understanding that each of us have strengths in our life. God has given us certain strengths and certain gifts and certain abilities. And each of us have weaknesses in our lives. And you realize that you have limitations. Pride makes you think that that you can just do everything, that you can be everything to everybody. And what happens is when you try to do that, when you try to think you can do everything and you can be everything, you wind up in stress. And some of you, you came in this morning, you're stressed. You're dealing with stress in your life. You're feeling the pressure. And it's pride. It's pride. It means that you are taking more on your shoulders than God ever intended you to take. You need to understand that you are not God. You are not Superman. You're not Superwoman. You have limitations. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus is speaking. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and what? 
Humble in my heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I taught on this verse a couple of months ago. Jesus says, learn from me, for I'm humble. And if you learn from me, you'll learn how to be humble, and you'll find rest for your soul. Humility is the key. It's knowing that you have limitations. It's knowing that your pride is making you take too heavy of a load in life. You need to yoke yourself to Christ. Get his power. Get his strength to help you in your life. And when you do that, you know what happens? The stress starts to go down. Man, during that season in my life when I was a young pastor, I was so stressed out. But when Vicki sat down and we talked together, when we prayed together, and we worked through that, and we started learning a way to manage that and get over it. Now, I'm not saying that stress doesn't ever come and there's not seasons of busyness, but I'm saying it's not a continual season, right? You understand that there's a difference between a, a, a short little season and just a lifestyle. The lifestyle of, of that went away. And, and we just began to settle in and trust God. Look at this verse from Micah. And Jeff, you can come on up. I love this verse. It's such an, an amazing verse. It says, this is what the Lord requires from you. You do what's right to love mercy and to live humbly with your God. There are three things that he says that he requires. To do what's right and love mercy. In other words, be kind. Show mercy to other people, which is what we've been talking about in this series on love. And then he says, walk humbly before God. It really simplifies it, doesn't it? God, help us to be kind. Help us to show love and mercy and to walk humbly with you. And then we need to all pray this next verse. This needs to be a part of our prayers. Go ahead and, and put it up. Pray this. Lord, turn me away from wanting any other plan but yours. Turn me away from having any other plan or wanting any other plan than yours. Humility is surrendering your prayer to God. You know, so much of our life, we, we go through life walking under this myth. And here's the myth. It's the myth of being in control. We think we're controlling our destiny. We think we're controlling our careers, our family. We're not in control of any of that. It's an illusion. One thing can happen and bam, your life is different immediately. Overnight. Everything can change in a heartbeat. And the safest thing you can do is surrender your life to Christ and just say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. You be in charge. You call the shots. You be the chairman of the board. You be the manager of my life. And some of you have never, ever done that. And my thought is, what would keep you from doing that today? Would it be pride? You know, I'm going to call the shots in my life. I'm going to say what's happening in my life. I'm going to do it my way. And that's a huge mistake. And you know what it does? It puts you in opposition with God. The very God who loves you. The one who gave his life for you. Who died and created you. Would you surrender your life to him today? It takes humility. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you would say, Robert, I really need to surrender my life to you. To God. I need to surrender my life to God today. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never given Him full control. You may have been going to church. You may have even been reading your Bible and doing some of the things that you've been doing, but you've been doing it under your own terms. 
and you've never come to a place before you said, God, I am totally yours. That moment where you said, look, I don't know if I've got anything to give you, but I'm yours. Do what you want to do with me. Do what you want to do in me. I'm surrendering my life to you. If that's you today, and you say, Robert, would you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to him. Can I just see your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. Surrendering my life to you. And would you just join me in a prayer? It's right where you are. You can pray this in your heart. Say, Lord, I'm surrendering. I give up. Lord, I want to give you my life. I want to just surrender it to you. I want to give up my plan because your plan is better. I want to just stay on that for a second. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life because God's the one who created you. He knows you. He understands you. And when you walk in God's plan, see, we think, I think we think sometimes and that, that when God has a plan for our life, it's going to be something in us that's going to cause us to do something that maybe we won't like God's plan. Right? I remember the early days, Vicky uh, would say, I don't want to go to Africa. <laughs> God, God, whatever you do, don't send me to Africa. Guess what? We did go to Africa, and it was amazing. Right? But God has a plan for you. He created you. He created you. He understands you better than you understand yourself. And when you start to walk into his plan and you step into what he's doing in your life, you step into that plan for him, you're going to step into fulfillment. You're going to step into a joy that you've never seen before. You're going to see God do miraculous things in your life. So God, we surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you. We ask you to come in and be the Lord. That word Lord just simply means the manager, the one who's in control. I'm letting go of control. Would you just say that? God, I'm letting go of control. I'm letting go of control. I really think that's the key to revival. I'm going to stop trying to control everything and I'm just going to let God do what God does. How many of you know if we get out of the way and we let God do what he wants to do, we start to see things start to change? So God, we open up our hearts to you. We ask you, Lord, to have your way. We surrender to your will and your plan. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want to give you one more verse uh, just as we get ready to to leave. It's found in Psalm 37, verse 11. I think we've got it. It says this, All who humble themselves before the Lord shall be given every blessing and shall have wonderful peace. Look at what humility does. And so my prayer for you this week is that as you humble yourself before the Lord, that you would walk in His blessings. I really, I want to speak prophetically to you that I believe that there's going to be some supernatural blessings as you walk in surrender and humility, you're going to see some, you're going to see God do some things. You're going to see some things where you're going to go, wow, nothing but Jesus could have done that. The, 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 that that's the Holy Spirit working. There's no way that could have happened.
except for Jesus, except for what's going on. And you're going to see that. And then you're going to have peace. There's some of you, hey, you've been restless. And I really believe that God is going to bring, as you surrender to his plan, he's going to bring a peace into your life that you haven't walked in in a long time. And it's just going to be powerful. And so that's my prayer for you this week. A couple of quick things. Next week, do not miss next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about love is respectful. <laughs> and then think of somebody that you can invite to come. Next week is also going to be our food truck Sunday. And so that's going to be just an amazing uh, time. We're going to have the food trucks out. You can stay and, and eat and, and hang out. We're going to have a ministry fair going on, and you'll be able to hear about all the different ministries. Think of somebody that you can invite to come and join us for uh, next week at Coast. And then, of course, March 22nd, the tent is coming. Be praying for that. Uh, be joining me in prayer for that. And think about fasting starting the, the 15th after, after the food trucks. All right. I want to pray one more prayer, a blessing as you go. Father, thank you for every person that's here. I pray that you would bless them in all that they do, that you would pour your spirit out upon them, that you would give them wisdom, Lord. Help them to walk in wisdom according to your word. Father, I pray that you would give them favor in the eyes of people that they come in contact with. Let your anointing, yes, Lord, thank you. Let your anointing be on their life. And Father, I pray that you would give them divine opportunities that they could tell other people the story of what you've done in their life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great week. Yeah.